0: Well, on july the twenty seventh, the list was announced of the Matildas who were to run out onto the field and represent Australia against Nigeria. And the list was as follows. Mackenzie Arnold, goalkeeper. Ali Carpenter, Claire Hunt, Claire Polkinghorne, Steph Cately, defenders. Kira Cooney Ross across. Courtney Vine, Haley Reso, Katrina Gorey, Caitlin Ford, Emily Van Egmond, midfielders and forwards. Now, when this list was announced, it was obvious that there was one key name that was missing. Who do you think that was? <laughs> Sam Kerr, our captain. And there was a very unfortunate reason for that. Now if we were to turn to Revelation chapter 7, which we won't, we could read another list which is announced. It's a list of 12 tribes who will each have 12,000 of its members sealed, protected and given the responsibility of announcing the gospel to the world during the Great Tribulation and the list is as follows Judah, Reuben Gad, Asher, Naphtali Manasseh, Simeon, Levi Issachar, Zebulun, Joseph and Benjamin now did you notice that there is also a key name missing from that list did you notice that it is the tribe of Dan it's not there it was left off. So something is going on. Today I'd like to investigate uh, what the apparent reason for this is, and then what lessons can we can we get from this, from, from whatever it was that, that happened to the tribe of Dan? Please turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter nineteen and to a passage in a section that discusses the division of the land of Canaan among the 12 tribes. (coughs) Now, the passage that we're interested in goes from verse 40 to 48, and it gives a summary of the portion of the land that was given to the tribe of Dan. Now, it's a report. It's written in in a concise, factual manner, without much description or detail. And so it's not really very riveting reading. I don't think many people are going to turn to this section when they're choosing memory verses to memorise or, or, or when they do their devos. I don't think you'll come back here very often. But nevertheless, let's see what we can discover from these nine verses. Just before we start reading now i 'm going to pause and ask the Lord to help us Father, we come uh, to a portion of your word and we pray that uh, as we look at the lesson that is contained in this portion that first of all we would understand it and secondly we would be able to make application in our lives we would learn something. From it, something would speak to our hearts and touch our lives from what we're about to read, and so for that, we need the Holy Spirit. I need the Holy Spirit, and I pray that uh, He would help us help me to teach, help each one here to learn. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, well, the first thing that we read as, as we read through this section here is that the tribe of Dan were provided with settlements and directions. Let's read verses 40 to 46. And the seventh lot came out for the tribe of the children of Dan, according to their families. And the coast of their inheritance was Zorah and Estal and Ishemesh and Shalaban and Agilon and Jephla and Elon and Timnathar or Timna, you might have uh, recognised that one from, from um, Samson that's where he went and got his first wife Samson was a Danite and Ekron and el and Gibbethon, and Balath and Jehud and Beni-Berak and Gath Rimmon, and Mejakan, and Rakan, with the border before Japho, which we know as Joppa. Okay, so the people of Dan were provided first of all with settlements. Now, this must have been a very exciting time for the people. You see, none of them had lived in a real house before. They'd been living in tents and wandering from place to place as nomads. But now they knew that things were soon to change because Moses had promised them a land of their own and soon they would be able to move on to it. And that would be exciting. That would be really exciting. After all those years, there'd be gardens and orchards for the men to harvest themselves. There'd be houses with shelves and wardrobes and permanent clotheslines for the women. There'd be creeks and gullies for the boys to explore. And as for the girls, well, they'd be sitting around talking to each other about which boys might come and live in the village with them. So it must have been a, a really exciting time. This reminds me of uh, a little Irish boy of about five years old that we met for the first time at Hoskins at the start of our last term. His parents had been absent from the tribe uh, for medical reasons for about five years. And I don't think this little guy had ever been into a tribe, even as a baby. But his parents had been preparing him for the occasion. Uh, apparently they'd been telling him lots of stories about what the, uh, what the house was like, what he could expect when he arrived in the tribe. And uh, he was just so excited. Anyway, Faith and I were working in supply, getting our, our supplies ready to, to fly back into the tribe. And he'd come up to us. And the first thing he said was, We're going to Lele. Our house is at Lele. And we said, oh, really? What's your name? And he said, my name's Noah, and I'm going to Lele. A plane is taking us to Lele. I'm going to live at Lele. And he was just so excited. For him, going to Lele was just the ultimate, ultimate dream. Now, I'm sure that there were some little fellows of the tribe of Dan that would have been excited like that too there might have been some of them going around saying I'm going to Ekron. I'm going to live at Ekron." now the particular portion of land that the Danites were going to receive was designated by the casting of lots that's the, that's the way they did it Back in those days. That's the way they determined the will of God. It was carried out under the direction of Joshua. uh, Eliezer the priest. And the leaders of the tribes. And the outcome was binding. Because everyone understood that the lot indicated what the will of God was. And in the case of the tribe of Dan... Their area of land was defined by cities. And there were 17 mentioned and, and named. And the 17 named meant that the territory of Dan was going to fall between the areas occupied by the tribes of Benjamin, Ephraim, and Judah. If you just turn over uh, on your handout there, you'll, you'll see that. So cities are named, and no cities fall um, within that area there. It wasn't necessary to specify the borders. Uh, They could be figured out by looking at the the borders of the other three tribes. But uh, just naming the cities was was indicative of where the the people were going to locate. And the land was good. You can see that it's basically a, a coastal plain. But it did extend up into the hill country to the east. So it was, it was a good land that they were going to move on to. Now, not only were the with tribe provided with settlements, but they were also given directions as well regarding what to do. In Numbers 33, we heard a few moments ago of some instructions that God had given to Moses to pass on to the people. He said that when they entered their land, they were to drive out all of the inhabitants, all of them. And the reason for that was because the Lord was giving, uh, was taking the land away from those people and giving it to the Israelites instead. It was his judgment upon them. So the people of Dan, like the other tribes, had a responsibility to fulfill However, in other places, such as in Deuteronomy Deuteronomy chapter 11, Moses indicated that the Lord would be helping them to do that. Yes, they had that responsibility, but the Lord was going to help them to do that. And Moses said that because of that, they would be able to dispossess nations greater and mightier than themselves. So not only were the people supposed to obey the Lord and drive the inhabitants out of the land but they were also supposed to believe what he had said and depend upon his assistance as they did that. So here's another example of the tension uh, we see in different places in scripture between divine activity and human responsibility. In our own case we have particular responsibilities that the Lord has given us but he has promised the Holy Spirit to help us as we carry out those responsibilities. So here's um, another example of that tension. This one's in the Old Testament. So they were provided with settlements and directions. Now, as we read on in our passage in Joshua, we read that there was a problem of some sort because some time after they entered their territory and tried to possess it they met with settlements and difficulties let's look at verse 47 just at the first part there verse 47 and the coast of the children of Dan went out too little for them now this verse is problematic for two reasons First of all, although Joshua appears to be the author of the book, it appears that this is one of a few verses in the book of Joshua, or a few sections, that appears to be written by someone else after Joshua's death. For it's describing something that happened after Joshua died. It's also problematic for this reason, too. A clear translation of, of that section there is difficult. You'll you'll notice the translators have put the words uh, too little in italics, meaning that uh, that's the meaning that they think was the most likeliest. They wanted to indicate that. But nevertheless, the the basic idea is that the Danites were unable to occupy the land. And the reason for this is that they faced some very strong opposition as they tried to claim it. This was Philistine territory. The Philistines were well established on that bit of land there, and they were formidable foes. They really knew how to fight. In Judges chapter one, verse thirty-four, if you're to turn over just a couple of pages, Judges chapter 1 and verse 34 the writer also indicates that another group were also a major impediment to the Danites so Judges chapter 1 verse 34 it says and the Amorites forced the children of Dan into the mountains for they would not suffer them to come down to the valley so at one stage the Amorites forced the people of Dan off the parts of the lowland that they had managed to secure. And they made them retreat to the hilly country uh, lying more to the east. So the productive farmlands that the Danites had uh, initially uh, gained had been forfeited. The Amorites forced them off. So the Danites knew what their goal was. But they met with setbacks and difficulties. It was very difficult as they tried to reach that goal. Okay, now, so, okay, they know know their their goal. uh, They know the will of the Lord. Some difficulties came, some setbacks. Now, how did they respond when these obstacles occurred? Now remember that the Lord had commanded them to take the, Lord, uh, take the land and he also had said that he would assist them as they did that, as they went out with courage in obedience and did that. He would assist them. Now let's see what they did. And we're going to the uh, second part of verse 47 and we'll read through to the end of verse 48. Therefore, the children of Dan went up to fight against Leshem and took it and smote it with the edge of the sword and possessed it and dwelt therein and called Leshem Dan after the name of Dan, their father. This is the inheritance of the tribe of the children of Dan according to their families, these cities with their villages. So that might seem pretty good. At first, however, when we look into it a little bit deeper, we can see that they actually responded to their obstacles and their difficulties with scepticism. Because the resistance that the Philistines and Amorites were putting up was really strong, and after a while, the initial vision that the Danites had of having annual harvests in golden fields of waving wheat and uh, watching trees in the orchards blossom and then bud and then produce really sweet fruit. That initial vision that they had when they went on the land vanished. They lost it. It began to fade. And eventually, the previous pronouncement made by Joshua and the elders... Of the tribes, concerning the territory that was to be theirs, they thought was unrealistic. The Danites thought, no, that, that pronouncement that Joshua made, that's that's not feasible, that's unrealistic. And because of that, they didn't think very high of their future prospects. Things didn't look good. It was really hard. So, yes, they responded with scepticism. They failed to have faith. And they didn't believe that God could help them to possess and keep what he had designated as theirs. So they they responded with scepticism. They also responded with disobedience because the passage says that many of them left their land, went to a place called Leshem, conquered the people who lived there and dwelt there instead. Gary, how can you say that? How can you deduce that? From from what you just read there, the, the fact that uh, it was skepticism and disobedience. Well, it all becomes apparent when we consider where Leshem is. Leshem, also known known as Laish, wasn't a city located within the territory that had been designated for them. <coughs> It was actually a city way up in the north of Israel, past the Sea of Galilee and at the headwaters of the Jordan River. Now, Judges chapter 18, which gives a more detailed account of what happened here. Judges 18, which we won't turn to, but I'll I'll just summarise it, indicates that um, five spies from the tribe of Dan uh, went up to to uh, to check it out, and uh, those spies is a long way, about hundred miles, hundred what forty kilometres. Those spy, uh, those spies, when they got there, they saw that the city was really isolated, really isolated. The land was very fertile and very productive. Now, some of us have had the privilege of going there and, and seeing, seeing the area for ourselves. And I can remember there was a river, a beautiful river, coming out from beneath, beneath a mountain. And the fish, couldn't believe it, didn't have a fishing rod. They, they just, it was the middle of the day and they were just swimming out. I've, they looked like trout. They looked like trout, but I don't know. But uh, beautiful place. Lovely soil. Um, really good. Now, those, those, those five spies that went up there, they saw that. They also saw that the people who lived there weren't warriors. They were agricultural type people, possibly a colony of people who had come over from Sidon on the coast, Phoenicians, and, and made that their, 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 their dwelling place. So when those five spies returned, went back down south and spoke to the rest of the folks waiting for them, they spoke about how favourable the location was. It was really good. It'd be much easier to go and conquer those country folks than what it would be to try and overthrow the formidable Philistines and Amorites who really knew how to fight. It was the pragmatic thing to do. And so, what they thought they'd do is to send 600 soldiers, Danite soldiers, up to fight those people and to take their city and the region from them. And that's what they did. That's what they did. Now, as they did that, they disobeyed in this way as well. They followed pagan practices. Judges chapter 18 also indicates this. It says that when those soldiers went back up, those 600 soldiers, when they went back up to fight against that city, they passed, I think they were passing through Ephraim, the territory of Ephraim, but they passed the house of a guy called Micah. Now he's the subject of of discussion In chapter 7 A whole chapter is devoted to Micah Deuteronomy chapter 17 He's a bit like the guy At Ora uh, That I mentioned last time When, when we presented the uh, missionary presentation There's a guy at Ora that has his own religious system Micah was like that He came up with his own religious system He had various Idols That had been made from silver He had a shrine Which is like a little house for his gods he had uh, some sort of priestly garment and he also had one of his sons to act as his priest. Now later on, a Levite came by by the name of Jonathan and uh, Micah uh, got the Levite. He made him an offer and asked the Levite to, to, to live with him and to act as his priest in his little uh, village there instead of, instead of his son. And he did that. So he had his own religious system. Now, when the soldiers, those 600 soldiers, arrived there, uh, they knew that they knew who Michael was and what he did, and uh, they decided that they would take the idols for themselves and the priestly garment and the priest. They uh, they encouraged the the Levite there to go with them as well, and the whole idea was that. uh, when they they conquered uh, Lesham they would build a, a temple and they would get their own religious system going up there. And uh, so they were happy to be re- religious, but there had to be a few adjustments made as they did that. Now, what were the results of all this? So, so that's what that's what they did. Those soldiers went up there and they did that. Now, what were the results of all this? How did things finish up? Well, the soldiers wasn't difficult. They defeated the people up there. They're just country folks. It wasn't that difficult. They, the soldiers, the 600, 600 soldiers, handled that easily. However, in the long term, it all ended up with sacrilege. Blasphemous, blasphemous behaviour. When the Danites first moved into their new settlement... The religion of the people of Dan was very questionable, to say the least. However, things continued to de- degenerate from there. some well, sometime later, those people began to be influenced by the folks over at Sidon and Tyre on the coast who worshipped Baal and Asherah. And eventually, when the kingdom was divided the people there at leshem the danites were involved in full blown idolatry they worshiped a golden calf that jeroboam had put in their their city there listen to what the author of 1 kings chapter 12 and we will turn there first kings chapter 12 listen to what he says about about what was going on there at dan and his assessment of it. First Kings chapter 12 verses 28 to 31 Whereupon the king took counsel and made two calves of gold and said unto them It is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem Behold thy gods, O Israel which brought thee up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one in Bethel and the other put he in Dan That's not the original territory. That's the newly acquired one. And this thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one, even unto Dan. And he made a house of high places and made priests of the lowest of the people which were not of the sons of Levi. So all ended with sacrilege. They were engrossed in idolatry and they also tolerated illegitimate priests, men who should not had no right to be priests. They were not Levites. They were not, not of the line of Aaron. But they were just like Micah's son, just someone that would do the duties and, and perform the rituals. So it all ended with sacri- sacrilege. And it also ended with a degree of disintegration as well. Okay, those people down in the south, who chose not to leave and uh, move to the north. I'll start again. So those people who did choose to leave and, and move to the north, they didn't realise what they were opening themselves up to. That beautiful spot that they'd picked was going to be the first spot or the first stop for every plundering army that come in from the north to invade. They come down from the north, Leshem, Dan, they were the first ones to be invaded, and so the city was destroyed by those assailants and rebuilt numerous times before the remaining people were taken into captivity. So the people in the north didn't work out as good as what it was going to work out now the other part of the tribe who remained in the south, they were obviously weakened when uh, a large number of people left them and eventually they were assimilated into other tribes or uh, into the Phoenicians themselves and they lost their distinct identity and apparently their territory was eventually taken over by uh, the tribe of Ephraim so that's the report That's the report that we're given in Joshua 19 Concerning the territory that was allotted to the tribe of Dan And their failure to fully occupy it And it shows the very beginning of the decline of the tribe They had, a, First of all, they had a clear understanding of the will of God It was clear, it was, it was very plain But they dismissed it Thinking that it was too hard And they went off in another direction. One that they thought would be more preferable. And the constant participation in idolatry from that time on appears to be the reason why the tribe is omitted from the list of the 144,000 Jews who, who will be sealed in the time of the Great Tribulation. Now, as we start to conclude, I'd like to consider what we can learn from it. And I'd like to reflect first of all upon the failure of those people. What observations can we make about what they did? Well firstly the first thing that can be said was that their failure was at a fundamental level God has made it very clear in his word that he wants people to exercise faith and obedience. Faith is trusting God and belief in his word. Obedience is yielding to God and doing what he requires. And a response of faith and obedience acknowledges that God is God. Now the people of Dan failed at that level. They focused on their obstacles, allowed their commitment to be undermined, and eventually they acknowledged defeat by opting out and choosing another direction to follow. It was a failure at the fundamental level of faith and obedience. They didn't trust and they didn't obey Secondly, their behaviour was also one of defiance. Dismissing the known will of God in preference for a more desirable and easier option is defiance. And that's what they did. They placed themselves on a path with their back to the Lord. And they regarded him as being irrelevant for the particular situation that they were facing and they're going to do things their own way. A couple of weeks ago, uh, 10 days ago, uh, I went to a podiatrist and had ingrown toenails cut out of my two big toes. The first thing that uh, the podiatrist did was to give two injections in both toes, four injections all up. And as I watched him cutting up the toenail, right to the root, I didn't feel a thing. Not a thing. There was no sensitivity in either of those two big toes. Now, that's a little bit like what happens when we dismiss the will of God and choose another option. It's a bit like that with respect to that particular matter, we numb ourselves... To the will of God. Not with a general anesthetic as if we're heretics or as if we're apostates, but like with a local anesthetic. Just relating to that particular issue. We're aware of what God's will is, but we don't really care, there's no real sensitivity toward it, and at that particular moment it doesn't really seem all that relevant or important. And that's what the Danites did. It's like they numb themselves to the will of God. They dismissed it as being impractical for their particular situation and they decided to handle things their own way. And so their behaviour was one of defiance. It was a failure at a fundamental level. Their behaviour was one of defiance and something else that we can observe from... What we've heard about this morning too is the decision they made was unwise. It was unwise. Small decisions that people take in the wrong direction can sometimes lead to very serious unforeseen consequences. The events occurred to Abraham when he left Canaan and travelled down to Egypt are an example of this. The events that occurred to El when he left Jerusalem and went over to the land of Moab is a, another example of that. And the events that occurred to the Danites after they left their allotted territory and resettled at the base of Mount Hermon on the border of Lebanon. That's an example as well. The grass can look greener on the other side of the fence But a change of location does not necessarily provide relief from problems. Sometimes the problems can get worse with the change. So these are some observations that we can make about what the tribe of Dan did. Now what about ourselves? How does this account about the response that the Danites made to their difficulties... Touch our lives. Does it have any relevance at all? So I'd like us to ponder on ourselves and our faith, just for a few moments. I'm going to give three sketches, and as I give these three sketches, yeah, just just ponder. Just, um, just see how what we've learned today can uh, be applied to our life. <coughs> Jan likes to take his family on hikes. It's a good exercise. It's also a way, a really good way for him and his wife to have some meaning, meaningful uh, interaction with the girls, with their two girls. One afternoon, they drove out the Yarra Valley. Uh, they drove out the Yarra, Yarra Valley, sorry, and parked their car at the base of a mountain. They then took about two hours, hiking their way, first of of all around the perimeter of a a long farm and then up a steep mountain. It was a warm day and the scent of uh, uh, eucalyptus and blossom was in the air and it was invigorating. They also saw a deer and a wonga pigeon and that was exciting. Well, when they got to the, the top, they had their lunch and after they took some great photos, they made their way back down the mountain once again. It was quicker going down, but it was also hard on the legs. And the girls started complaining of sore knees. And Jan, he had blisters on both heels, and they were rubbing against his, his uh, hiking boots. So he didn't feel too, too good as well. And when they got to the, the base of the mountain, they faced another problem. There were black clouds heading their way. They had about another 45 minutes to hike if they continued on the trail that they were, that they were following. However, Yarn noticed that if they left the trail and made a shortcut through the farm, they could be back at their car within about 12 to 15 minutes. Now, the girls would really appreciate that. His feet would appreciate that. And as he's thinking about it, it started to rain. There's only one problem. There was a sign in the paddock that said, private property, keep out. Yarn had a decision he needed to make. Casey's a nurse who is very devoted to her job. She's thorough. And she works, I should say, Uh, She works in an intensive care unit, providing specialised care to critically ill patients. She's thorough. She's calm, and she has excellent interpersonal skills. She's a believer, but she's also in her 30s and still single. Single. She'd love to be married, have children of her own, but the right guy just hasn't come along. One evening as she arrives back at her unit, carrying a load of groceries, she puts the groceries on the bench and receives a text message. It's from Steve. He's a paramedic that she sees regularly at the hospital. She knows he likes her. He sometimes comes up and sits with her in the canteen and they talk. He's quite attractive, very friendly and caring. And someone whom her parents would really approve of. But they're not Christians. And neither is Steve. He once told Casey that uh, he admires her for the faith that she has, but that sort of thing's just not his cup of tea. Well, she read the message on a phone. It said, Hi Casey, Steve here. Just wondering if you're free on Friday night. I'd love your company for something really neat that I've planned. Well, she puts the phone on the bench next to the groceries and she thinks, It's really difficult. He ticks a lot of the boxes. And she could easily fall for him. Easily. But he's not a Christian. Colin is a widower. He lost his wife to breast cancer about five years ago. They've been happily married for 35 years as Christians, and had three boys. The loss was really hard to take, especially for some strange reason, during the second year. He can handle being alone throughout the day, but he longs for company at night, and sometimes it's quite depressing. Retirement is coming up, but he thinks... That's only going to make matters worse. He's thought about the possibility of remarriage, but he just doesn't think he's cut out for it. It's nine o'clock at night. He's been answering emails on his computer and looking online at some HelloFresh recipes. He's toying with the ideas of uh, buying a couple of meals. Well, it's just about to close the page and turn the computer off when a picture a box pops up on the screen it's a picture it's a picture a photo actually of two girls dressed very immodestly and there's a caption beside the box it says hi there butch Click here if you want to see more, much more. Well, Colin should have shut the computer off straight away, but he didn't. He thought for a moment. His years of married life are over. He's lonely and it's difficult. Now, although these stories are about people struggling with various problems, in each case, the issue involves the fundamental matter of faith and obedience. Were they going to trust God in the situation and do what he wants them to do or not? Jan, Casey and Colin all knew how the will of God applied to their situation. God has clearly said that Christians should not break the laws of the land. They should not marry unbelievers and they should not be involved in immorality and lust. To choose to do these things would be to dismiss his will and to place themselves on a path with their backs to the Lord. It could also lead to some very serious consequences as well. If If spotted, and if that farmer was a nasty one, Jan could receive a summons to appear in court. Casey could end up in a marriage with constant disagreements regarding how to raise their children. Colin could develop an addiction which would erode his self-confidence and stifle his Christian walk. But each of them need to make a decision whether... They're going to stand firm and go the way of faith or dismiss what they know to be the will of God and head in another direction. Like what the Danites did. Finally, what about you? Is there a story that we can tell about you? How would it go? What's your story? What issue or problem would be involved? And what particular option would you be tempted to choose in preference to doing what you know God would want you to do? As you identify something in your mind, could it be that your case also basically comes down to a matter of faith and obedience? In other words, believing God's assessment of the situation and doing what he wants you to do regardless. What are you going to do when that difficult situation that you're thinking of confronts you once again, next time round? Remember that dismissing the will of God for an easier course is both unwise and defiant. And it's also a failure at the fundamental level of faith and obedience. It's like numbing yourself to what you know the right thing is to do. Just that issue. Whereas responding to difficult situations in a biblical manner means that you are the real deal and that you will grow in your faith as a result. Let's pray. <laughs> Fathers we surf in our minds, there may be a whole lots of different issues and situations that uh, we can recall where. We have done the same thing that the Danites did. Maybe not to the same scale, of course, but nevertheless, the flavour of our decision was the same. We ignored the clear will of God, your will, that we clearly knew, and we numbed ourselves to it, and we did something that we preferred to do instead just dismissing it as if it wasn't serious or or wasn't significant. Father, I just pray that you'd help each one of us to identify areas in our lives where we're not being fully obedient to you and to trust your way uh, instead, to go your way, to put your will first in our lives, that we are the real deal and not half-baked. So, Father, we just pray that you would minister to our hearts, encourage us, help us to grow, uh, help us to allow the, the Spirit of God to uh, minister in different areas of our lives and uh, may, we, may we grow and uh, walk as you want us to walk. Thank you, Lord. We just commit uh, the message to you. pray that you would minister according to your, your will uh, to our lives. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.